Welcome to the podcast of The Open Door Church. My name is John. I'm co-pastor of The Open Door. And this week we have a second podcast episode coming out. This is a really fun one with a friend, Dave Bindewald. Uh, his family attends The Open Door. He's a part of the church. <clears throat> Dave also runs the Center for Play and Exploration. And his work is as interesting as you can imagine. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about, how his work um, and his life really um, helps many people uh, live into this practice of learning. Uh, as a church, we commit to uh, continue learning as followers of Jesus, that this world and all that it is uh, presents so much possibility for creativity, for exploration, for learning. So we're going to get right into that with Dave. Here we go. I have been following the bosses running with the law. Yeah. Which I was going to... I was thinking, how should Dave and I like start a conversation? And, and it should be like the things that we have in common that that we you know when we first met we had no idea we had in common which springsteen is one of them yeah yep. what what do you think what's going on with him i so i admittedly i'm about a week a week removed i was following yeah. like every little tidbit that would come out for a while but i'm about a week out so the last i heard you have to update me because you probably know more but that you know, he was on a bike ride and um, in a park. So I guess that's like a state park or a state forest or something. Yeah. And some fans offered him some tequila. Yeah. You know, it's Bruce. Like, hey, come over, take a picture with us. And he did. And, and I guess they had some and they gave him a shot. Um, and he drank it with him and took a picture. And then there's some reports that he might have had a second one. Mm-hmm. But either way. Um, he had at most, I think, two shots of yeah. tequila, but I guess there was a either a trooper or a state park ranger. Or so anyway, somebody saw him and then, you know, so they saw him take the shot and then get on his bike. And so they stopped him. But I think, again, I this is saw it. I didn't yeah. Know. So, again, I don't think he was. And the test, the last time I saw the test that he took, he was well below the the alcohol limit. Huh. You know, so he wasn't drunk and he wasn't um, and, you know, legally or scientifically or anything. Yeah. Huh. Anyways, and um, yeah, I think for sure he, he had a, a shot or two and was riding his bike, his motorcycle. So, you know, maybe not the best uh judgment call but i think yeah. he can totally handle his liquor and i don't think he was impaired or drunk at all um but that's the last i heard do you know anything new or more than that i don't know I, it just it you know makes me sad that he's going and maybe he made some bad decisions and he's going through all this uh this crap in the midst of everybody going <laughs> through such difficult times 
I need Bruce in my life in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's more, the more uh, disturbing thing to me was the Jeep commercial. Yeah. That was, that was more strange. And I, I think know. the, the alcohol thing, I, I think more and more is going to come out, but the, you know, see, did you see Jeep pulled the ad? They yeah. took it off because yeah. of his DWI. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, we got to find out if he actually was drunk and did he break any laws or anything. So that that could be a, a huge yeah. injustice or not. But I loved I loved the commercial until the Jeep logo came up. It was like, <laughs> I'm like, well, this is so cool. You know, it's like he maybe he wrote a poem or he wrote a little piece about it. And I loved the image of meeting in the middle and the chapel and just his, the vibe he was giving <laughs> when the Jeep logo came up. I was like, what? And, you know, like, I think he just never is really associated with any kind of brand or logo or it was just yeah. such a surprise. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, for sure, he'll always, he'll have to do like 25, like really, really bad, 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 bad things in a row for me to be like, oh, maybe I misunderstood something. So again, I think he, knowing him, I think he, this was a great way to get this message out to a lot of people. Yeah. And I think Jeep had been pursuing him for a long time. And I think this more like the... um the moment of, you know, culturally and politically with a, a thing, a company like Jeep and in that part of the country. And, you know, I think maybe it was a not as thought through as he usually does maybe. And so, and it's, you know, it's fair, he's getting ripped for it and I think yeah. he should be, but um, yeah, I would love to know what the, decision-making was yeah he needs to do some uh do some interviews he needs i'd love to hear him talk right now and yeah you know, yeah uh say what went wrong and, and kind of admit to it yeah yeah well this is a good like intro i'll i'm gonna i'll say right now that uh what we're gonna do here and because okay. i actually recorded our bruce conversation here so uh maybe i'll just leave this whole thing so i'll say welcome to the open door <laughs> podcast right here today um talking with dave bindewald who when i say this i'm honestly saying is one of the most interesting people i know and courageous in your choice of um what you do with your life like i i love uh your story i want to get into that a little bit just um, how you've kind of followed, um, I think what, what you sensed as God's call in your life, um, and how you help people become explorers <laughs> in life. I, I love it. We right now, um, this week, we're going to be getting into this practice of the open door. Um, this, this really broad idea that we learn as followers of Jesus, that we, that we intentionally continue on this pathway of being learners. And I, there are so many people in our church who take this like head on. We are, yeah. we are yeah. lifelong learners. And by being learners, we delve deeper into to God's kingdom. But mm -hmm. I think we can start with that re really narrowly. 
but our church um, has done pretty good at saying, actually, learning is this. Yes, it's Bible learning, <laughs> um, and it's this and this and this, and it's all of our creativity, all of our experiences in life um, bring yeah. us to be lear uh, greater learners. So I want to I want to get into that with you mm -hmm. uh, today. So thanks for being willing to set some time aside and and talk. But so uh, you and I we didn't, we didn't know each other well for a long time, right? You, uh, you were working at some other churches and I'd heard your name for many years, but we didn't really know each other well. And then your family started attending the open door and it was fun because we really quickly recognized these, uh, these things that we have in common. One of them is a love for the boss that mm. goes back to our childhood for both of us. Um, yep. the second one, is also really fun. A love for the vigilantes of love and Bill Maloney. Yes. Um, which is a little more obscure. Not, su not surprising knowing our backgrounds, but um, mm -hmm. a little more obscure. And you actually opened up for uh, the vigilantes of love at Geneva college. And I, I realized that I'm 99% sure that back when we were in college, I was at that show and, and saw you perform opening up for for him. oh my gosh i mean it's all it's all been downhill from there i mean it was a, <laughs> I know that was the high water mark yeah that uh, actually the opening was actually here in pittsburgh at the spinning plate uh oh, good the spinning of plate ours. Okay. yep great uh friends of ours the vander mullins were really close with bill and vol and would bring him in whenever he was within a hundred miles of here, you know, right. and, but the Geneva show, I was there and one of my dearest friends from college was working in student activities. And I think it was my junior or senior year. And I was begging her, you know, please like, you know, he'll, he'll say a few things. It'll be, you know, it's Geneva college. It was RP in the mid nineties, you know, like, you know, you could kind of see like, well, this would be expanding the, the horizons a bit, but long story short, uh, she went for it and brought them in and they played in sky lounge. And it was when they were their best, the yeah. best lineup with Kenny Hudson and yeah. Kevin and the, it was just so great. I remember that. Yeah, I, we were probably in the same room. Yeah, we were. Didn't know each other yet. And yeah. um, I mean, I'm such a a big fan of that that era of Vigilantes of Love that Kenny Hudson, who played guitar and pedal steel and mandolin, um, we were able to get him to play on our on our record. Yes. It was so fun. I don't yeah. think many people, many people know that most people don't really care, but it points to what's well, their bad. It's, it's, music. it's their miss. That's right. Yeah. That's it's right. the strange, uh, we have this VOL connection. Um, each of us have played with members of VOL or around them. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. I've been watching his, uh, his live streams here and there on Facebook. He's doing pretty consistently. Uh, he's, He's fun pulling out these old crumpled up notebooks and old songs, <laughs> reworking them. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear, like, just share a little bit about what you do um, uh, about the center for, uh, and I always say it wrong, center for. 
play and exploration. I always want to say creativity and exploration, but I know that's wrong. Is that ever play and exploration? Yeah. Um, what, what is that? Center for play and exploration is a organization that teaches adults how to be uh, childlike again. Mm. And by that, we obviously, hopefully people listening will give us the benefit of the doubt and assume we don't mean things like picking your nose or eating paste or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, The best, the absolute best uh, childlike virtues, the best of us from that era. And it's not an age, but it's more a season of life. Uh, We've figured that out over the last couple of years that everybody loses childhood at a different age and a different time. Uh, but it that is different. But the reasons we lose it are universal. You know, you see something awful or you have to grow up or you are given responsibility either at an appropriate time or an inappropriate time, you know, too early. Uh, if you innocence is lost at some point. And so by childhood, we mean the 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 era, the time, the ethos, the culture that you lived in before innocence was lost. Um, since we're talking with uh, with believers here, it's a wonderful chance to make this tie to this wonderful, like little wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing that I hear in Jesus's words when he says, you have to change and become like children. Mm-hmm. And there's been lots of good stuff written and, and thought about that. But we think the best of, of what he meant there were these three virtues or postures, even some of them are practices, but uh, specifically what we do when I say we teach childlikeness to adults is we teach the perspective or the, the sort of stance of curiosity or wonder or fascination with the world and then we teach the practice or the ability of divergent thinking. We think that's a, a muscle. It's an ability that, that we have, that children have in spades. The ability to think outside the box and think up multiple solutions or multiple ways of doing anything. And then finally, sort of those two things added together make for a culture or an environment of freedom to fail, risk-taking, you know, that Uh, mistakes start to be less stigmatized and um, trying something new, failing often, making a mistake, not knowing something, all of those things start to naturally become valued and um, necessary. If you want to do something interesting or fruitful or productive or helpful or redemptive or basically anything, Uh, And that's where it sort of gets into the professional development side of what the center does, that uh, organizations and teams, we think, could use a whole lot more freedom to fail for many, 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 many reasons. Just um, ethos and enjoyability of work, you know, just the the pleasure of working at something, uh, making it more exploratory and... um, risky and adventurous, Mm -hmm. uh, but then also actual innovation and, uh, but whether that's or, uh, 
flows of meetings or structures of the charts or, you know, whatever, uh, that is, that's literally how all that good stuff happens. And the older we get, we just conveniently forget that that is true, that Mm -hmm. innovation and new stuff have always been accomplished following that kind of model. Uh, But we've, we've fallen away from that, sadly. Right. So in, in your work with adults, um, this, maybe there's a question I should ask later, but one of the things I want to ask you about is how that translates to being a parent. A lot of Hmm. folks at open door, um, are, are parents of young children, um, young, you know, younger even than our kids, but around our, we, we both have three, three kids and they're all about very close in age, our three. Yep. How yep. has that affected you as a parent? <laughs> uh, sadly, way less than I hoped it would. I mean, the I think parenting, parenting, you know, as, as everybody knows, it like makes you crazy. It makes you different than the person than you really are. Yeah. <laughs> it like makes for altered states, you know, so. Yep. It, it takes an incredible long, incredibly long marinade uh, to break through that. So given the emotional, spiritual, cognitive, you know, physical uh, needs uh, to parent well, like I, mm-hmm. I think sadly it, it hasn't changed in as much as I want it to. But the attempt and the hope for the future, I think, is... I think maybe just even um, piggybacking on the last of the three center values of freedom to fail Mm -hmm. of that one, I think seems to be the one that when it is going better than it usually does with parenting, I, I, I see it looking more like that, meaning both for me and for my children, uh, a decision to be made, a consequence to be handed out, a, a, um, a rule or a law for the house being broken or being come up, being developed or come up with, um, what happens when it, when it is transgressed or what happens when uh, it doesn't work, you know, or, and I mean this everything from like helping your kids with your homework down to you know, an older kid makes a pretty substantial mistake with real consequences, either willfully, uh, unwill, you know, just accidentally. Those are all different categories. But the the amount of time I've noticed that when this is trickling down, at least better than other times, the amount of time that starts to elapse between a mistake or a transgression or a rebellion or a disobedience of some kind and some kind of consequence, uh, it gets longer and longer. Hmm. Super interesting to me that like, rather than maybe to say it another way, rather than a very quick, swift nip it in the bud, sweep in, you know, crush the rebellion sort of, um, letting it happen. Uh, and kind of learning from that rather than because you know, certainly there is an appeal like it's awfully attractive and sexy to just like run a tight ship, you know, yeah. and like your kids are 
you know, perfect in that sense, but they're also robotic and, yeah. and mechanistic and maybe even afraid, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I, I know from my own learning that when I am afraid, I don't learn well, and at least it doesn't stick with me and it doesn't, um, it's sort of like memorization, right? It's sort of like parenting slips into the worst kind of school, you know, memorization and regurgitation uh, versus something else, you know, of, of transformation and engagement and vulnerability and excitement. And so, and again, I, I recognize the, the risk there. And I think the risk that makes most parents not parent that way is because you might spoil your kids. You know, you might have bratty kids and they might embarrass you or they might be, they might be mean and punks, you know, to mm-hmm. other people. And of course that's not, I think that's a mistake in the other way, but. I Well, th- this idea of divergent thinking, I've heard you talk about a lot over the past few years and I, we are not good as a, in the way that we educate our children. Um, we're really not good at pushing our kids to think divergently. They, as you have taught me, I, I think we're all kind of designed in that way. Ch- children are good at that because mm-hmm. they're created in that way to be good at thinking yeah. differently about problems and opportunities but we are really good at narrowing their focus to get good grades, you know? Right. Uh, right. Um, right. Yeah. So as, uh, how can we as parents, um, broaden that a little bit, not say we don't care about grades, go, you know, do, do what you want in school. We want you to think divergently only, <laughs> I mean, uh, but have you found ways that you've been able to like, be okay with your kids getting out of the box. I mean, that's successful people in our world. They're not the ones who, or like really um, the amazing people who are solving the problems of the world are not the ones that are um, staying in the box and getting, getting their uh, all A's and B's on their report cards. They're the ones that are completely out of it. Right. Um, Uh, Two thoughts come to mind. One, uh, as the more that I, so talking like with my role as a parent now, the more that I as a parent practice divergent thinking, uh, the better I get at this for my kids. And that sounds intuitive, but it's not like I, and I, I'm just, the second thing I'm struck with is the, the incredible power of, uh, shame and, um, embarrassment and comparison that I feel as a parent. And that's what I meant earlier about, I think there's a certain flavor of that for parenting that is stronger than a lot of other roles, you know? And I think, again, there's variation and different parents feel it differently, but it's kind of coming at it from a different way. But the, the time I've spent on my own divergent thinking muscle, I think is the only reason that any kind of willingness to let them figure something out a little more slowly or make a mistake publicly or in school or at church or, you know, not be super quiet when they're supposed, you know, whatever the thing is, 
I don't know that it's like a a play and exploration, you know, credo that we came up with as a family. I think it's been more like a a seeping or like a, a trickle or a osmosis, maybe. So um because and I, i'm sure we can talk more about this later but as you remember from our divergent thinking talk the like this amazing science behind divergent thinking is is that it's it's about turning shame off okay. that has changed my life you know that uh i well i guess we're talking about it now so the um the creativity, innovation, or divergent thinking, and sometimes those can be synonymous, synonymous, synonyms. Um, It's not an on switch. You know, that when people work out to get good at creativity and divergent thinking, they're not getting a muscle stronger to turn on creativity. It's the opposite. That's happening naturally. God has naturally created every human being to be this fire hose of creativity and divergent thinking the muscle that divergent thinkers and creative people uh work out is a off switch of shame and judgment that uh excessive criticism and uh and you know there's there's two or three monumental implications for that for me in my opinion anyways that one uh it this this is a human capacity right this is uh, the ability to be creative and think divergently is a universal human ability it's a muscle that you have and it sits right in the front of your brain uh, and everybody has it Uh, this ability to uh, turn down the governor or the voice that says don't do that and that's a stupid thing to do. They're going to laugh at you. We don't have the budget for that. What will they think? You will never be asked back to this group or this call. You're not going to get that job. Uh, that is ridiculous. That's inappropriate. Uh, you have failed before and you'll fail again. You know, whatever it sounds like, and it's sometimes really loud and it's sometimes really subtle. Sometimes it sounds like a, a teacher or a parent figure, or maybe it has different accents. You know, I don't know. But what this, another huge implication of this means that everybody hears that voice. And that's so comforting to me. You know, I thought I was the only one. And everybody has this little chatter going on in the back of their head or on their shoulder. And it was, you know, I think creationally, it was a good thing uh, that has gone rampant. It's a protective device. You know, it's a don't put your hand in the fire. You know, don't jump off of that cliff. Don't run in front of that bus. Like, that's a bad idea. You know, you want to hear that in those moments. But it is categorically, uh, disastrously, catastrophically overfunctioning. To the point where, you know, I might want to try a joke or have an idea at a community meeting or have an idea for a better way to do homework or to address racism and injustice or poverty. Or I might want to have a better relationship with my friend or my wife and I will have an idea about, oh, maybe I could try that 
and it says, shut up. How dare you say, you know, it just completely overwhelms us. Yeah. And, and I think shame, interestingly, shame leads to a lot of like some of the worst mental mental illnesses. And right. um, I mean, it's a it's a toxic thing to be inside of us in that way. And when when we are able to let go of that, and sometimes that might take years of, of therapy um, yep. to be able to do that, but it unleashes something. It unleashes. I, I think it's the us being created in the image of the creator. Hmm. And I think that one of the reasons I get so excited about your teaching and just being able to listen to you talk about this stuff is it, it's, it's uh, kind of a, uh, a way of reading Genesis two that I felt, but didn't quite know how to fully get at. And you, you get at it that, that we mm. are created in the image of God. Therefore we are, we're, we're supposed to be creators, like divergent thinkers, as you say, creators. And that, that goes for, uh, for me, it's some, it, it, uh, builds me up and it's a way of, um, of even resting, like creativity is a way of just being naturally who I am. Like that's what music is for me. It, it, it's not a job. It's a, I get to sit down and create something, play it, play something on the guitar and record it that I've never played before. Mm, and maybe yeah. it's going to be great. And, and maybe, maybe not, maybe I'll play it one time <laughs> and that's it. But there's something about that that taps into this this goodness um and for you know it's different for everybody but for so many of us we turn it off or we compartmentalize it to playing you know playing guitar in my bedroom and nobody else needs to hear that because right. shame there I, i'm not as good as you know all these others oh yeah yeah and or that uh, another way it hits us is that there's certain kinds of creativity that is that are cool and allowable, mm -hmm. like maybe music or visual arts, mm -hmm. but with accounting or surgery or, you know, medicine or law, if you're if you're creative, it's a it's illegal, yeah. literally. You know, like one of my favorite, I'll just throw this out as a resource, a TED talk by Dr. Charles Lim. He's one of my favorite guys talking about divergent thinking. He's a surgeon in his other job. <laughs> and he leads off his talk by saying, you do not want your surgeon to be creative. Right. <laughs> and there's, but it's a great access point to, you know, it just makes the point again. And when people hear what I do, they automatically assume that it's for children or that it is for, you know, painters or sculptors or, you know, that it has nothing to do with education or theology or agriculture mm -hmm. or politics or. And so there again, like just huge back to your reference of Genesis and the creation story. If we're wrong about that, that's wonderful news because it means every human being has this capacity and has not only been called to, has been, I would say, commanded to uh, unlock and explore hidden potential in every corner of the creation. Yeah. And 
and that it's chapter and verse, you know, black and white. Like it says it there, thus saith the Lord, you know, in a big like King James voice or whatever you need to hear to take it seriously that, uh, that this command to make culture and to un unlock hidden capacities in the creation, because it seems that it just apparently uh, the creator preferred to embed and hide and not complete the creation or things in the creation, right? So, I mean, this mug that I'm holding right now to drink coffee or the technology that we used to set up this call, the, all of that was not created by the Lord God Yahweh. Right, the potential for those things were baked in, were hidden, literally hidden into the creation, and then we are commanded to go cultivate it, to go exploring. And I think that is that's just the most remarkable, exciting, fascinating thing that I've ever heard. And it for a large part of my life, you know, that was the missing part of of the faith and of the gospel. This idea that there's hidden goodness out there and I have been invited and mandated to go cultivate it and pull it forth and mm -hmm. make much of it and unlock its potential for the flourishing of the creation and people everywhere. I just think that's ridiculously good news. It is. Yeah. So what you teach is that creativity and this divergent thinking, um, it's for everybody. And I don't think that, I think there are a lot of people who just don't believe that. What, what, what would you say to somebody who's like, well, yeah, some people, this is absolutely, I'm glad there are people like that, but not me. I, right. I don't. Well, there's the name and assumption I'm making. So for people listening or talking about this, maybe this will be helpful or not so that it doesn't make sense, then maybe it's because of this assumption I'm making. But sort of what we were talking about before, that by saying creativity and divergent thinking are universal human capacities that every person can do it, yeah. I do not mean uh, the visual arts right. or uh, improv or acting or mime, or, you know, just the, whatever the stereotypical thing is that comes to your mind, whether it's a, as you're sort of talking about, or at least hinting at, maybe it's sort of up on a pedestal that, mm -hmm. oh man, like if only I were like that, and then yeah. whatever you're picturing, or... Yeah, like for the accountant, well, the right. greatest uh, the greatest accounting thinkers in the world need to be creative. Some I don't, I just need to keep the books together. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Or, yeah, just to follow that, that trail for a minute, like uh, um, world financial institutions or economists or, you know, people that sort of study how money flows and works and what is the w way to give the most access to that's a creative endeavor. That is a divergent thinking. Like there's one plus one equals two and there's compound interest and then there's like well how else could we do this you know and and so anyway like or there's a pejorative meaning to it of like oh those creatives like that's the last thing we need you know we've got real hairy adult mm -hmm. 
problems. Mm -hmm. And those people just want to frolic and feel things. And, you know, also, you know, baby with the bathwater. So what we're talking about at the center is right down the middle of those two things, right? Including maybe both extremes, but mostly in that sweet spot in the middle. So back to your original question, uh, if someone listening to this feels stuck Mm -hmm. somewhere Mm -hmm. in any part of your life, I am ready now to uh, be recorded as saying, um, creativity and divergent thinking is the muscle that the creator of the universe gave you to get unstuck. Mm. And for whatever reason, I'm convinced that it's a delightful, preferable way to do things. But for whatever reason, God has decided to uh, make that sort of a process and an adventure you go on rather than if you turn to Second Chronicles 16 on you know that 15th verse, there's the answer. Just say this to your spouse and you'll never fight again. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't exist that way. Right. You simply have to uh, learn. You have to explore. You have to be curious about your spouse and about your child. You have to watch them and study them and be curious and fascinated by them. Uh, you have to explore them as strange as that sounds, an exact same thing is true of the World Bank and the United Nations and agriculture and um, education in Western Pennsylvania. You have to be curious and go exploring. And that can take years and you will feel like you're wasting your time. But if we're right about this beginning part of the creation story, you're being faithful you're not wasting time. You're being faithful. And then enter this, and I hopefully that, that makes more sense, of a valuing of creativity, right? So after you study something for a little while, after you learn, after you follow your ignorance about something, I don't know what that is or why that is. I'm going to go find out. You're going to learn things and discover things. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have so many more resources Uh, just from knowledge and experience, but the tool or the action that you're going to need to do anything differently is divergent thinking and creativity. Mm -hmm. This is where this is stuck. Now I have a better sense of why I always do this or why was it set up this way? You know what? And you'll learn some things, but then you'll still be stuck without creativity. And, and so if it's helpful, hopefully it's more helpful to think about creativity in light of um, uh, American politics in a, and ceramics, right? Yeah. Of, uh, it's the same muscle. You're going to use the same muscle to improve or get unstuck in both of those things. Right. I will say... Uh in in sitting under your learning you know as a learner from of of dave bindewald um these things bring these ideas bring freedom and and really i don't know a lighter heart in many ways Mm. like really uh believing that you are a creative person because god made you that way um and it it brings freedom to my to my work Mm. to my 
to my life. It, it's it's a good thing mm. um, for mm. me personally. Um, me too. It, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, but that brings me to a, to a question I wanted to ask you. Um, like we're in such a really terrible time in our world right now. Uh, it just seems, seems like compounding, um, compounding disasters and terrible, terrible things that we're living through with the pandemic and mm. with, you know, people dying today in Texas because they have no heat. Yeah. Um, this yeah. terrible winter storm that's linked to climate change. Um, yeah. You know, the North Pole is warmer than Texas. What What is going on here? Um, yeah. With such difficult, difficult things happening in our world, is it even like, like it, is it even appropriate for us to be thinking about uh, divergent thinking and being more creative in our own lives? Yeah. I how do how do you answer that question mm. um, in in like a practical way? Yeah, so good, and that is that is the question uh, in this season for the center and for me for sure. So I'm I'm so thankful that you asked it. I'm thankful for and not surprised by your wisdom and insight. You know, that is the next question to ask. Like, okay, great. But where do you guys get off? Like, come on. Like, it's back to that. We've got real problems. I mean, people are dying and the world is about to explode, literally, you know, and, you know, pick a, pick a topic, you know, and it's been so harsh and volatile and dangerous out there. Um, so I guess the first thing, and it may be, it may be impossible to unpack all of this in this amount of time, but yeah. certainly anyone can continue the conversation after this. I'd love it. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to double down and say uh, the single, in my experience and in my own learning, so both like theoretically and uh, experientially, what I've seen and experienced, the single greatest, most powerful tool or muscle I have ever experienced or encountered uh, for fixing global problems. And I'm, I won't back down. I mean like racism and poverty and disease, the single best chance we have of redeeming those problems and fixing those things is play and exploration. And I don't mean my company. I mean, create these child adults uh, practicing and learning these childlike virtues of curiosity, divergent thinking, and risk-taking or trying what they find against these really hard things. I have yet to see anything work better or have more potential, or um, at the very, very least, sort of back to your observations about yourself of when you think about these things, of creating a strong, sustainable, courageous people to tackle these things, mm -hmm. right? Because you're going to need, you need stamina, you need longevity, you need strength, you need ability, you need capacity to to stay at it. I mean, on, on the simplest level, but what I'm talking about is even past that, like I'm, I'm, I want to be crystal clear. I'm saying that if neuroscientists uh, start 
using childlike curiosity and divergent thinking, they will cure diseases. Hmm. Hmm. And if astrophysicists and particle collider folks, to the extent that they are childlike, as Jesus commanded, they will figure out time travel. I promise you. To the extent that big ag, like, you know, or pharmaceutical, pick the worst you can think of, you know, big ag or pharmaceutical companies or an oil baron, you know, whoever the, the pinnacle of, of evil and stuckness and um, injustice and oppression, whatever that is, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, and I dare say that there are children out there who have who would have solved this decades ago, you know, but we're just not listening to them. Yeah. And uh, we know better, you know. Uh, so I think that's the biggest like and I know I haven't really said any hows or whys right. there, but I just want to make crystal clear that people here when when we're asked and we take that very seriously, uh what are you guys doing? Like you have your heads in the sand, you know, this is, you are abnegating your responsibility for good citizenship. We actually believe the exact opposite that uh, this is the single most faithful, but most effective, most powerful way to solve these problems. Um, and I think in here too, somewhere is this little permission piece, right? Like, um, what does God think about all this? And that comes back to that command in the beginning, you know, that I command you to cultivate the creation. And it's like, it's almost like if church folks were trying to meet and discern if they should evangelize or not, you know, someone should quickly come into them and say, oh, great news, guys. Like, you know, you, I can show you a chapter and verse, like you're supposed to be doing this. It's okay. You don't have to ask permission. Go for it. Mm -hmm. The same exact thing. A lot of Christians who are warming up to this form committees and uh, discerning teams. Like, is this, is this a special leading of the Lord that we should follow? Uh, nope, not special. Great news. You have permission, chapter and verse. Go get them, you know. And the the last thing too that should be said to this question uh, is is the difference the the um, difference between life and death, literally uh, between exploration that I'm talking about and exploitation, hmm. right? That climate change and racism and injustice for sure, and you can draw lines to other big problems in our culture but are almost um, embarrassingly obviously due to exploiting rather than exploring the creation. Uh, instead of unlocking hidden potential for flourishing and blessing, which is the Old Testament language, right, of the salt and light, the man, I wish those people that loved the creator and uh, everywhere they are, I wish they were here because everywhere they are, communities thrive and the land explodes with potential and bounty. And there's no one poor around those people because they just, they're so creative in how they create and share resources. 
Uh, it is exactly because of, of our, and I'll say people that look like you and me and largely that, uh, named Christ actually, uh, said, no, actually you have something we want and we're going to take it. Mm -hmm. And, and you can just follow the dominoes from there. So, Yet again, I, I really think, and that's why I feel comfortable doubling and tripling down on this command to play and explore the untapped potential of the creation, because when we disobey it so blatantly and wrongly, the world breaks so tragically, that also tells me if we faithfully obey it and lovingly throw ourselves into this work uh, in, in the appropriate faithful way, the creation will, will respond accordingly, right? Just because we've broken this play and exploration thing or disobeyed it and the world has turned this way, I think if we obey that, these big, hairy, scary, audacious problems will actually be redeemed. Wow. I think we, for some reason, we're willing to live into, into the, the Genesis story with chapter three. It's like that we make that our starting point where uh, everything is built on that shame, you know, that Adam and Eve put clothing on and they're ashamed in the garden and then they leave the garden and they, and they struggle against the land yeah. uh, instead of thriving in this, uh, this garden that's bountiful and provides everything they need in relationship with God. I, I, there's so much more we could talk about there. I want to like get into the, 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 the theology of chapter three and shame. There's, there's so much there. There's problems there. I'd love yeah. to get into with you at yeah. some point. We don't have time yeah. today though, but the, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to think more about that, but, uh, Shame is our enemy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, I'm glad you said shame is because it's not even necessarily fear, right? There's, there's some, there's some respect out there. There's some fear. And again, it's think about it as over-functioning uh, fear, mm -hmm. right? So again, uh, harm or injury or death or, you know, there's, there's a natural, respect that the creator gave us some boundaries, you know, of like, Hey, you know, you can try that once, but that'll really hurt or you'll hurt somebody or yourself, whatever that is sort of protection or survival, or I'm, I'm okay with even using fear a little bit, you know, of, uh, intrigue and respect, but shame is destructive, uh, mm -hmm. exploitative. Um, it, it brings, it brings play and exploration to a halt, you know, and there, there you go. There is the, the litmus test. Uh, you can look at a community anywhere, I would suggest. And if you are less than satisfied or a little bit disappointed with what they are making and what they are redeeming and what they are cultivating, there's probably some shame on the loose somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, or excessive harmful fear uh, that is either... So this is another fascinating thing that we need more time for, yeah. but 
in my experience working with people on this working out the divergent thinking muscle, I would say trying to be conservative, 80% of the time and 80% of the fear at play doesn't even exist. Hmm. It's not even real. You know, and what I mean is like, well, why, why won't, there's this great idea that we've come up with. Why don't you want to do that? Well, because, and you start to explain, you know, it's different forms of shame, like this will happen or this will not happen or this will break or this will, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And exploring those and being curious after those, I would say 75 to 80% of the time, the thing that we're afraid of doesn't even exist. Mm. There's nothing under the bed. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, that's amazing to me. Now, and that's, again, like um, following this process or this way of life and work, uh, you will, you'll get a better sense of the thing you're ashamed of or afraid of, right? And by that, I mean, people, this will just be audio, but like if you hold your hands, like as far as they'll go apart, like a six or seven foot wingspan, like here, this is how big the thing I'm afraid of is, you think. Right. And you follow your curiosity and you start asking questions about it and you look under the bed or you make that phone call or you reach out to this person. I, I can all but guarantee you at the very, very least, it's going to shrink. And maybe disappear, you know, the thing that you're afraid of, like, oh my gosh, I've been sitting in my room terrified to go outside because of the monster that's waiting there for me. And long story short, I did all the work and I opened the door one day and there was never anything there. (laughs) And the whole house is yours and the whole neighborhood outside and the whole city beyond that and the country and the creation just starts to like grow again. Right. Um, that shame, fear and shame, it's hard to tell where one stops and the other starts, you know, and, uh, but it, it is almost always paralyzing and belittling and largely based on something that's not true. Mm-hmm. And I say all, all those reasons, pick any one of them, but all of those reasons just scream out for this need, this value of curiosity. Like why, why, or what, What's really there? What would it mean to look under the bed or to, you know, you're being curious about your own fear. Because isn't it, isn't it fascinating that um, curiosity and fear are both based off of things we don't know, mm-hmm. right? That fear, I can make you afraid, John, if I can make you think there's something out there that you don't know what it is and it's out to get you. That's how horror works. And, you know, the best people that write these stories tell us, you know, I'm going to shrink the frame in so that you can't see what's over there and I can make you afraid. It's scientifically proven, you know, (laughs) and so uh, fear is based on what we don't know, but so is curiosity, right? And in fear, you turn around and run the other way. In curiosity, you head right for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're under the we're operating at the center under the assumption that by feeding curiosity, you will starve your fears. Mm-hmm. Literally, you're you're eating its lunch. You're eating its uh, fuel. Mm-hmm. So like if there's a bucket of things, 
or a handful of things that you don't know and that's what's making you afraid. It's curiosity that's going to take one thing out at a time and look at it and say, oh, well, that's not what I thought. That's actually hilarious. I'm embarrassed that I was afraid of that. <laughs> and then after a while, fear's got nothing left on you uh, because you know, you know everything that it is tantalizing you with. And I just think that's uh, that's sort of maybe more practically what we mean by how divergent thinking and curiosity starts to liberate people from fear and shame and exploitation. Right. I think the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are set free from our fear and shame. Right. And we're able mm. through, through this, through living um, in the way of Jesus, we're invited to be, to interact with creation in this way, to be curious followers of Jesus, you know, un unveiling the beauty of this creation of this world of, of human beings to each other. Um, I, that's a, that's a gospel that I want to be a part of, right? That's why I want to, that's why I use this, this phrase follower of Jesus. Like right. I want to be the one who's on that path unter you know, overturning the rocks and finding these yep. treasures, um, on this mm. pathway of following in this way that, um, that, that gets rid of this fear and shame that we live with because of, mm. of I think that's sin. Sin is fear and shame. Sin creates yeah. fear and shame. Sin is fear and shame. Well, certainly what perpetuates it, right? Mm -hmm. It's certainly what, um, makes for generational or addictive sin, right? Mm -hmm. Like, a. Mm -hmm. Because again, back to parenting, I'm just trying to think like the difference between a child um, trying something that they were, you know, maybe fairly sure was inappropriate or wrong or hurtful, whatever, and then they are um, lambasted for it and, yeah. you know, told, don't ever do that again, but more importantly, don't ever think about that again or wonder about that again. Mm-hmm. And it's laughable how ineffective that is, right? Mm -hmm. Just like, because curiosity has been peaked, right? Like, oh, wait, why, why don't you want me to, yeah. oh my goodness, versus someone saying, you know, these hilarious stories about uh, kid or um, parents introducing their children to quote unquote uh, sinful things, right? Yeah. What an amazing idea that, hey, this is a, here is this, um, you know, drug or uh, sexual idea or sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Like maybe for us growing up, yeah. you know, the things that like you need to watch out for these. Yeah. The the difference in approach between um, these are all God's ideas. They're, these things are all they have to be made of and um, constructed as they're using God's good creation. And here's how to get the best out of this. Here is how, like, so far anyways, we think this sounds the best, this uh, tastes the best, this feels the best. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Uh, exploring those things from, as a family, like parents to child saying, like, this is the amazing thing that God made. And this is how historically people have really hurt themselves so please be so careful here, you know, and, mm -hmm. but what's happening is the, the fear 
the shame, the the mysterious, enigmatic, like behind the curtain, no, 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 that is creationally normative to go find out. You're you're removing the. I think the parent has the potential, anyways, there of removing the evil enigmatic mysterious harmful part of that and exploring it as followers of jesus trying to faithfully explore to the flourishing and development of you know just imagine if like sort of those and i use that for you and i like it's probably our like cultural upbringing uh stuff but you know whatever it is i just think that's a great example of shame or fear versus curiosity and parenting as we were talking about before uh, wouldn't we all prefer our kids to have those conversations with us and but that would that would mean we'd have to be ready for that you know and mm-hmm. and that's kind of full circle maybe what i meant by to the extent that we inject ourselves with this practice being able to sit with our kids when you know they're potentially going to do something that's going to hurt themselves or someone else. How can we engage that in such a way that there is no shame and there's no uh, fear, but there is respect and there's intrigue and mystery about this wonderful thing, you know, that they're attracted to because it's impossible to be attracted to or drawn to something purely evil it's impossible. You know, no one is addicted to pain, mm-hmm. right? You're addicted to pleasure or some good thing that comes from it. And there again, discerning down back to the beginning, there's something in there that God made that is just wonderful and enjoyable. And so let's figure out how to use that in a beneficial, flourishing, exploratory way rather than an addictive and exploitative harmful way. Maybe that's a better example for the parenting stuff from the beginning. Yeah, that's great. I've got, uh, this is inspiring in me, um, some very practical things with my kids right now, some different ways of addressing, uh, uh, yeah, some things that have been, you know, uncovered a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've got some work to do as a parent. Um, Me too. Me too. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Um, so, uh, how can people connect with your work? I mean, you're, you're, you do basically, you do coaching. I I've had a coach this year who mm. knows you and loves your work. And, uh, it's been so helpful for me in this time of like, just, it's really easy to get stuck right now in so many ways. So how do people connect with your work? Maybe seek you out as a coach or, or just seek out the work that the center is doing right now. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, the easiest way would be the website, playandexploration, all written out, .com, playandexploration.com. There's a contact form on there that goes to me. Uh, my email address is dave at playandexploration.com. Uh, the sort of the what is we do this for teams and for individuals. So where COVID and space allows, uh, we've had some success in meeting in person if you know it's a pretty unique space that would allow us to do that safely. Uh, but we've also gotten pretty good at doing that virtually with a team of people. 
um, trying to be more creative, more curious, innovative at work. But then, yes, we do that individually. It looks more like coaching, but probably training, like personal training. We think about it as just like working a muscle. You go to a trainer. We think of this as working the creative divergent thinking muscle. It's divergent thinking training. So uh, we do that virtually as well. Awesome. Well, thanks. I'll put those details when I, I'll post the this on Facebook for the church's group. And just generally, I'll put details in the show notes, uh, as they say, and uh, also in the, the Facebook post. So people should see all that. Thank you, thanks John. Again. I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good to talk with you. Good to talk with you, too. Thanks for listening and hope that was uh, enriching to you as it was to me to be able to talk with Dave. Um, do check the show notes. Uh, I'm going to put some links in there, the links that Dave and I talked about. And if you are at all interested in The Open Door, check out our website, pghopendoor.net. Thanks.